The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go, and say to this people. I'm sorry, I read ahead, but yeah, that's verse 8. All right, I can pray for us. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this message, um, this new series that we're going to be getting into, God. I just pray that you can open our hearts and our ears um, to just hear uh, the words you want to speak to us, God, and uh, just the ways that we can apply it to our lives. Um, Just this week, God, may you bless Randall as he speaks to us, God. May you just speak through him and uh, fill us all with your Holy Spirit and uh, just bless this time. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Thank you, Nick, for sharing. Um, you know, I, I, I love it that we have the kids in here uh, during the singing time because I can, I'm standing here and I can hear your daughter, Sienna, singing out these songs. And it just, it just gives me like this joy in my heart, you know, that it's not just us, like it's all of us coming together and, and worshiping God. And, um, and so I think... Uh, just what was shared this morning is very timely for us. Um, and just to know that uh, this is real life for us, right? This is real life for us of, of following Jesus and, and applying to our lives. Um, so today we are in a new series. We, we just finished the book of Acts last week and we are in a new series, uh, the gospel in Isaiah. And so we're gonna be looking at Isaiah, uh, a little bit about his life today. And then also uh, just letting the, the different texts in Isaiah uh, really help us and prepare us uh, as we come to Easter. Now, Isaiah is an important uh, author, important book, because uh, the New Testament quotes Isaiah more than all the other prophets combined. All the other prophets combined, um, they speak about Isaiah. And so today we're going to look a little bit about who Isaiah is, but also uh, what can, we can learn from him about Jesus and the gospel. Um, so again, if you've got your Bible this morning, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And the message for today is a glorious vision. A glorious vision. What is your vision for life? If somebody were to ask you what your vision was, what would you say? See, every one of us has one, whether we've verbalized it or not. Let's be honest. Many times the visions we have are moments filled with our own personal glory, right? Us accomplishing achievements, receiving promotions, 
gaining success, accruing more, having fulfilling, perfect relationships. And if we dig a little deeper, this can be maybe self-motivated or it can be pressures from the outside, maybe friends or family or just that comparison trap that we put ourselves in. But if we dig beneath the surface, many times our visions of grandeur can be selfish or shallow or temporary. So what is your vision for life? 2010, Carolyn Casey uh, shared her personal story in a TED Talk entitled, Looking Past Limits. And she explained that she had all of these visions for her life. And then she recalls, on, on my 17th birthday, as Janice Ian would best say, I learned the truth at 17. She says, I am and have been since birth legally blind. From that point, she said that she tried to live as much of her life as she could without telling anyone about her disability, failing at one job after another, until one day she confessed to HR that she was legally blind. And here's what she said. She says, you know how exhausting it can be to try to be perfect when you're not or to be somebody that you aren't? And so after admitting that I couldn't see, HR uh, sent me to an eye specialist. And I had no idea that this man was going to change my life. But before I, I got to him, I was so lost. I had no idea who I was anymore. And the eye specialist didn't bother testing my eyes as much as ask me questions like, why? Why? See, apart from God, the Bible teaches us that our vision is distorted. That within our natural state, we live for the wrong glory, the wrong pursuits. And we need God's rescuing grace and a vision, a glorious vision from the outside that can heal us. So how are we cured? Well, from today's text, what we see is that it starts by experiencing the glory of God. The glory of God. So our text is from Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. And just to give some background here, Isaiah was a prophet during the 8th century B.C. Uh, he was, uh, did ministry from 739 to 701 B.C. It was the same time as the prophets Amos and Hosea and Micah. According to rabbinic history, uh, Isaiah is believed to be descended from royal lineage. And in the first verse in Isaiah 1.1, it says that his father was Amos who is believed to be the brother of King Amaziah. Isaiah, from what we can tell, is a gifted speaker and writer. We can see that he was thoroughly educated in the traditional forms of speech and writing. His writing is masterful. Um, it's strong, it's vivid, it's the finest of classical Hebrew. Yet, with all of his royal privilege and opportunities, with his extraordinary gifting, his experience of God and the glory of God radically changes his vision for life. See, Isaiah sees God for who he truly is. And at this moment, 
comes to a crossroads in his life. And so how did Isaiah respond to this glorious vision of God? Well, there are three parts that are rooted in his experience that we see here. And it's all from the text. The first point is he says, I saw. The second point is he says, I said. And the third is, I heard. I saw, I said, I heard. And so the first one is, I saw. Look at verses one through four. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and two, he covered his feet, and two, he flew. One called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. What's happening here? The context for what's happening is very important for us to understand what's happening in Isaiah's life. Well, the first part, it says this, in the year that King Uzziah died. Overall, King Uzziah was one of the good kings of Judah. He became king at 16 years old. He'd reigned for 52 years. It says in 2 Chronicles 26.4 that he did right in the eyes of the Lord. King Uzziah sought the Lord during the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of God. But later in life, King Uzziah became prideful because things were going well in his life. And so what happened was there was this incident where he, he tried to take uh, on the priest's job and in that uh, rebelled against them. They told him that that's not your position. That's not your role. Instead, he, he, he rejected what the priests were, were, were called to do. And, and in that moment, he was struck with lep leprosy because of his disobedience to God. He ended up spending the rest of his life in isolation with leprosy before he died. His people at this point were in political and cultural turmoil. The future was uncertain for them. And it was in this dark moment within their history, within the, the history of their people, that Isaiah receives the vision. In the year that King Uzziah died, See, after this, what happens next? It says, I saw the Lord. King Uzziah died, but I saw the Lord. And what did he see? He saw the truth about God. He saw who God really is. I love this quote from Jack Miller. He says, Isaiah was going to the temple just as he had a thousand times before, and the last person he expected to show up was God. Friends, that's some of us this morning. We, we, we come to church, we expect, okay, I'm going to come to a service, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to have a nice cup of coffee and, and enjoy the message today. Friends, many of us can, can come in unexpected like Isaiah. The last one he expected to see was God lifted up in this very dark moment in, in history. See, up to this point, Isaiah had known about God, but it was in this moment that he had experienced God. You see, from, from some of us, we, we, we get into this routine. 
come to service, go to city group. We're serving, but we aren't expected, expectant to meet with God. We're, we're not expected to, to hear from him. We get focused on the routine and we miss out on the relationship. And so God, in a very dramatic way, meets Isaiah. See, that's where Isaiah is at. But when it says that he saw this glorious vision of the Lord, it says that he saw him sitting upon a throne. Sitting upon a throne. Now think about the context. It was the year that King Uzziah died. Right, the good and bad of Uzziah. But also, there is an Assyrian ruler, Tiglath-Pileser, you can look him up, the third, is threatening to conquer Israel. They're in fear. Because what they see, King Uzziah died. That's an unoccupied throne. But when Isaiah looks to heaven, it says that the Lord is seated upon the throne. There's an occupied throne as he looks at an unoccupied throne. David Guzik says this right. He says, he says, there is a throne in heaven and the Lord God sits upon it as the sovereign ruler of the universe. This is the central fact of heaven that there is an occupied throne in heaven. Friends, in those moments where we feel like everything is out of order or the chaos of this world is, is falling upon us, the weight of this world is falling upon us, we get discouraged. We say there, there, there can't be a leader right now because look, look at my life. Look at what's happening. Look at all around us. What we see is that there is king seated upon the throne. In verse one, uh, later he says, high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Kings, to show how important they were and their prominence would uh, have a train upon their robe to, to show the length and, and just the value of, of just how much the, the splendor that they had and that they carried with them and how great they were. That was the, the, the routine of kings, was to show how splendorous and, and glorious they were. I was, um, my wife was watching uh, this uh, documentary. It's called The Tinder Swindler. And um, it was about this guy, Simon Laviv. Um, and I got sucked into it, I'll be honest. I started watching, I was like, oh my goodness, you know, this guy, he's, he's uh, what happened was he was a liar. He was scamming all of these, these women to believe that he was something that he wasn't. And so for him, he, he would say that he was a family member of um, this family that owned LLD Diamonds, which is this luxurious diamond uh, company. And so he would uh, dress in this luxurious clothing and he would scam these women. He would, he would tell them about all of these things that he could do and all of these places that he went. And he was a fraud. He was a fraud. When it says that the train of God's robe filled the temple. 
It's telling us that God's majesty, glory, beauty outweighs any earthly royal beauty that Isaiah has ever experienced and that anything, anyone of this world could produce. Yes, we have thrones that are occupied temporarily, but any other throne, if anyone thinks that they are higher or equal to God, is a fraud. It's a fraud. What happened to King Uzziah? He thought that he could disobey God and that there would be no consequences. He had elevated himself to say, it's about me, not about God. And God showed him graciously that it wasn't about him, but that there was a a king on a higher throne. Verse two and three. Above him stood the seraphim, And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now these seraphim are angelic creatures created by God. Uh, It says that there was a total of of six wings with with two he covered his face, uh, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. Uh, Commentator Alec Matir has this uh, insight. He says, um, the feet are the organs of activity or directing life towards goals. It is impossible to be sure, but perhaps they covered their feet to disavow choosing their own path. To disavow choosing their own path. As, as these angelic creatures are before Isaiah and he's hearing them sh- shout, holy, 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 he's saying, okay, that's how heaven responds to God. To say, I don't have the wisdom to guide my own life, but I need God's wisdom. I don't know the direction and where to go, but I need God's direction. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Now, there are are different places in the scripture where twos are used to show the multiplied nature of something. Uh, Nowhere else are there threes like we see here. See, what this is explaining is the transcendent holiness, the transcendent otherness of who God is, the splendor of who God is, the holiness of who God is. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, this this word for glory is the word uh, translated for weight. Uh, This means that God is more real than anything else that, uh, that we experience that God actually becomes more real than anything that Isaiah has ever experienced. See, this isn't um, adding God into your life and saying, God, bless my life. But when you meet this holy God that's seated upon the throne, you say, Lord, I don't fit you into my life. (laughs) Um, I'm here Surrender to whatever you want. See, this isn't God plus me and whatever my desires are. No, this is God. The weight of who you are is being dropped into my life. And and I don't fit around you, but, you know, it's like, basically, this isn't an invite for us uh, to, to say, God, uh, just come into my life, whatever purpose is uh, I want, just bless those things. No, this, 
glory breaks into your life and it consumes everything. Consumes everything. Sarah Edwards once wrote this. She says, the spiritual beauty of the Father and the Savior seemed to engross my whole mind. And it was the instinctive feeling of my heart. Thou art and there is none beside thee. I never felt such an entire emptiness of self-love and in any regard to any private selfish interest of my own. The glory of God seemed to be all and in all and to swallow up every wish and desire of my heart. It's like, wow, like this is who God is. And so Isaiah is experiencing that. And then he says, I said, look at verses five through seven. Okay, he meets God. Here's what he says. Woe is me, for I am lost. Other translation says, I am ruined. Uh, for I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. What's happening here? Well, Isaiah saw God for who he truly is. And this isn't even the fullness of God, right? This is just God allowing him to see him because it says that we couldn't survive the full holiness of God, but he has wrapped himself in a way that, that Isaiah can, can see. And as God, just, just the glory of God is coming into his life, Isaiah saw God for who he truly is, and now he's seeing himself for who he truly is. Proverbs 16.2 says, all the way of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Like, when in our own eyes, we don't feel like we're that bad. We don't really feel like we're that bad. And, and, if, and I want you to think about the life of Isaiah. He's grown up, royal lineage. He's got some of the best training. He's going to the temple. He's doing all of these things, right, that we would, if we were to like have a category and say, well, that's a good person, like he would be in that. And look at his response. Look at what he says. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. I, basically, he's like, I'm ruined. I can't stand before this holy God. It's much like when, when Peter comes before uh, God, and, and basically he's just like, Jesus calls him, and, and they're like, he's like, depart from me, Lord. Depart from me. Like, I, I know who I am. Right, you got these fishermen that are like crude and, and, and all that. And like, he's like, I know why. I'm like, Jesus, I can't be with you. We got Isaiah saying that. We've got, basically, it puts us all in the same category. And many believe that Isaiah could have had and was possibly thinking as King Uzziah died, about a political career. He would have had the lineage for it. He would have had the skills for it. Because commentators have looked and they say, well, what is it about Isaiah's lips? What was he saying? He was basically saying, my greatest gift, my ability as an order, 
my, my ability as a writer, the, the, the ability to influence and to lead. He says, the, the best part of me is unclean. The best thing that I have to offer, if I were to say, here's the things that I can offer you, God, you say, well, I, I'm really athletic, so I can offer my athletic ability. I'm going to use that for God's glory. Like any of these things, if we say we, we can offer our best parts, what he's saying is all of it's unclean. And so in this moment, what happens is it says that one of the seraphim were flying to him um, and having his uh, hand a burning coal that he had taken the tongs from, with tongs from the altar. What this, what in this moment, what, what many believe is, is happening with Isaiah is he's believing that God is going to strike him down. It's going to strike him down. That his life, everything was done. He was ruined. That's what he says. Woe is me. He, he's cursing himself. Okay, I know who I am. There's no way that I can stand before his holy God. And so there's, there's this sign of divine judgment that's coming at him. But instead, God sends his angel rushing at him with not judgment, but with grace. With grace. With kindness. Because it says, and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now I want you to think, where did it come from? The altar. The altar. What happens on the altar? Sacrifices. Okay, so basically there's, there's a sacrifice that is coming that has been made basically as a substitute for Isaiah. God, God is, is rushing at him with divine kindness, grace, love, like we would see in the prodigal son story in Luke. We see this, this young man who basically tells his father, I'd rather have you dead. I just want your, your stuff. He's eating what the pigs would eat because he spent all of it. He's ruined his life. And he comes back home hoping that he could be a servant for his father. But instead he finds a father rushing at him with his arms wide open bringing him back into the fold, bringing him back into the home. Friends, we see that Isaiah is standing as a person who didn't deserve to be because he, he doesn't say anywhere where he deserves it, but is standing in a divine grace that he knows he doesn't deserve. And so we're going to finish up with that in a minute. Just hold on to that. But he says, I heard. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. See, what happens after seeing this glorious vision, after, after experiencing this grace, now he's standing, he's saying, all of my sins are taken away. All of the wrongdoing, all of the things that I had done is taken away. He actually starts to be able to hear clearly what God is saying. Because God is speaking. He says, who will go for us? Whom shall I send who will go for us? And 
Isaiah is responding as he's starting to hear God and what God's saying. Here's how he responds. Here am I. See, God for him becomes more real than his personal visions that he, he had before. And what happens is there's a radical dependence on God because he's saying, send me. He's hearing God say, who will go for us? I love that, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, us. God at creation, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. The God of the Bible. God becomes more real for him. And so Isaiah volunteers. Listen, before he hears the job description, before he hears the job description, he didn't wait and say, okay, okay, what's, let us, okay, what does that all entail? Okay, I like some of that. I don't like that other part, but you know, like, let me just pick and choose here. No, he, he responds before he hears the job description. And then next, God tells him what the job description is. He says, the people will resist you. They won't listen. That this will no longer be about your glory, Isaiah. Because no glory, you will accrue no glory to yourself in this. Your vision for life is over. It's now God's vision. He'll be hated. He'll be dismissed. He will live a lonely life following uh, God's will instead of pursuing personal gain. You know, many believe, it's not for sure, but many believe that Isaiah was the one in Hebrews 11 that it says was sawed into. That's Isaiah's life. Hold on, the, the, the gifted royal lineage That's what his life was? Yeah. Jonathan Edwards once said, resolved that every man should live to the glory of God. He's talking about himself, like I'm gonna be resolved. And I believe that, right? He says, resolve second, that whether others do this or not, I will. Like when you have a vision of God like this, it's not about, okay, other people are doing it, so I'm going to do it too. No, this is like you, you are making a decision, right? Like, okay, this is what it means for me to, to follow God. And so quickly, some takeaways. Number one, as we think about how we can apply this to our life, I, I encourage you, see his throne. See his throne. See his throne. You, dis you discouraged about how things are going at work, or in your personal life, you feel like, okay, who's, I've got all these things going on in my life right now. I just want to encourage you that God is above anything and everything. And that he's still seated on the throne. Right? And so like, what does that do when I know that he's seated on the throne? That the, the throne is occupied with the king of glory. So that's the first one. Second one, seek his glory. What are you living for? This quote, I, I like it from, from Ken Sandy. He says, it's crucial to realize that you either glorify God or you glorify something or someone else. You're always making something look big. 
You're always making something look big. We're always doing it. But will we live in the glory of God and saying, God, it's, it's about you. It's about making you look big. It's not about me making myself look big. And thirdly, surrender to him. Uh, it's not going to be up on the screen, but there's a quote from A.W. Tozer. He says, the reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work within us. We're still trying to give orders. I love that, right? See, what, what is this all about here? What are we, what are we looking at? It's, it's surrendering to him. Okay, Lord, I'm tired of, of being in charge of my life. We have to get to the end of himself, ourselves. Where is, where is Isaiah? He is at the end of himself. I'm ruined. I'm lost. What did Isaiah see? What was this glorious vision that he saw? Well, we learn a little bit more in the book of John. John chapter 12, verses 37 through 43, Jesus is doing his ministry and he's speaking to a people who are obstinate. They're not listening to him. They don't want to hear what he has to say. And so in verse 37, it's, it says, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Listen, verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Who's he talking about? Who's the him? Who did Isaiah see? He saw the pre-incarnate Jesus seated on the throne. That's what he saw. Before Jesus walked the earth in the flesh, he saw him seated on the throne, robed in majesty. Before he was born in a barn, in a manger, he was seated on a throne in a temple. Friends. It says he saw the glory of Jesus. And friends, what do we know about Jesus? That we're going to look at the different parts of Isaiah that prophesy about Jesus, but, but what, did, what, did, what do we know about Jesus? That that same king of glory that was spoken about by Isaiah was put on a cross, was stripped of his dignity, was stripped of any earthly possession that he had. They made fun of Jesus. They gambled over his possessions. See, friends, we think it's about possessions. We think it's about stuff. Jesus' stuff at the end, he was left with nothing. And he was put on a cross, looked upon as a thief. The vision that people had of him was mockingly king of the Jews. 
Why'd they do that? Verse 43 says, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. What was the glory that comes from God? The Son of God coming, running towards us like he did Isaiah. With all righteous judgment deserved upon us, we get to know that it was him who took on the full wrath of God on that cross. And that Jesus raised three days later. Friends, that's the gospel message. And will you, will I say, you know what? That little vision that I had for my life, that little vision that I had of, of thinking that it was about me. Lord, I, I, need, I, need, I need you to heal my vision so that I can see you seated on the throne and I can see what you've done for me because it's not just a throne, but it's a cross. Fill my vision with not just the throne, but the cross and help me to see who you really are. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that we will have a glorious vision. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, seated upon a throne, yet you became poor. You became homeless. You lost everything. You were stripped of everything. Why? For us. Why did you go to the cross for us? Lord, help us to not live for the temporary things, but the things that last. Give us a vision of Jesus that we can live for every day. And know that, Lord, you are worth it. You are worth it. You are worthy. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.